Good morning, church. I'll be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Our Father in heaven, we are your people, and we're about to open your word. We have many needs. For many of us, we aren't even aware of the deepest needs that we have. We are, Lord, a people perpetually in trouble, continually on the brink. We stand at the edge between darkness and light here in this life, and we are constantly torn between the two. Yet we know that you are our great and loving Father. You are here literally overflowing with the desire and the ability to help us, to to save us, Lord. In fact, you are perpetually saving us. You continually pour out your love and your care and your provision upon us, Lord. We pray that you would do so now. Make us conscious of your presence. Empower, Lord, I pray, my feeble delivery of your word. Enliven our often callous hearts to hear and to be changed by your word this morning. Lord, form the truth of this passage that we are in this morning. Form this truth to be true in us. What, Lord, what I'm asking, what we are asking is, Father, form the word, the word, your son, Jesus Christ, in us individually and in us as a church, Lord. Convict us, break us down, bring us to an end of ourselves, and Lord, heal us. Confirm your love in us, flabbergast us, Lord, this morning with your grace. Cause your truth to blow over us and your presence to overwhelm us. Break us free from dead orthodoxy and performance-based righteousness. Call the sinner, Lord, your lost child, back home this morning. Father, we have heard about you, but let us see you. Holy Spirit, may we not grieve you this morning. Father, uh, Holy Spirit, forgive us this morning in the ways that we have, and we ask that you would magnify Jesus in this room and in this building and even now, that we might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead 
and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, life can be incredibly disorienting, can it? Uh, Modern life in particular. On one hand, we have access to greater comfort and security and convenience than we ever have before. We have the world at our fingertips, right there in your pocket, or maybe you're looking at it right now and checking your fantasy team. We have more comfort and convenience than we've ever had before, yet we also have more societal and cultural change over the past, you know, 10 years or so than we've had in a generation. And the events of the past two years have only caused things to to, to pick up steam. Uh, Sally Rooney, who is uh, considered by some, uh, I would not be an expert on this, but she's considered by some to be the first great novelist of the millennial generation. Uh, She wrote in her newest book, uh, one of her characters says this, aren't we unfortunate babies to be born when the world ended? After that, there was no chance for the planet and no chance for us. And isn't that sort of the sense that a lot of us have? Like, like we've been born into this life, this modern life, we have all this convenience, all this technology, all this advancement, and yet sometimes it doesn't feel like, have you ever showed up to a party, not, not fashionably late, or even randy late, but like really, really, really late, and, and like, like the, the cake's already been cut, and the bar's already closed, and there's only like some slim pickings on the buffet table, and a lot of the guests have left, and there's like the confetti's already on the floor. And sometimes it feels like we've arrived to life like that. Like, like things have changed so much and are changing so much that, that it feels like we're coming in the back ends of things. I think millennials deal with that feeling particularly a lot. Feeling like, like all the American dream that America promised for years is now kind of like different for them and set up against them. And the thing is that for all the good that is in the world, all the technological advances that we've had, for all the comfort and convenience that we've gained, for all the wealth that we have accumulated, for all the medical breakthroughs that we have seen, there remains this, and we have this sense underneath everything. All of us have this sense that the world is still broken and breaking down even more. Don't we have that feeling? Like no matter how good life is, no matter how great we may have it at times, that there's this sort of underlying gnawing feeling that the world is still broken and it's breaking down even more. Isn't that your experience? Don't you you feel that? Though though everything, everything around you is trying to tell you though that everyone else is happy. Isn't that what you're always constantly kind of trying to being sold and 
what you're being, what you're buying into, what people around you are telling, what social media around you is telling you, what the media is telling around you, what life seems to be telling around you as you drive by other people's perfectly manicured lawns and their house looks good and they walk out to their car and they're dressed and their family's not fighting and yelling at each other. Somehow, doesn't someone around, somewhere in your mind say, it's like this sales, salesmanship is going on telling you that everyone around you, everyone else around you is happy. They're living here, they're going there, they're using this product or service, and they figured life out. And yet, somewhere at the bottom of our souls, we have this gnawing sense that the world is broken, and it's breaking down even more. And I think as we think past the last 18 months to the past two years or so, if they at that time has done anything, if the events that we've lived through in the past two years alone have done anything, they've, I think that one thing they've done that's a plus is they've popped a giant hole in the lie that, that says that everybody else around us is happy. Like, it's a little bit easier to understand today that nobody else around us is fully happy. No matter how much the marketers, no matter how much social media is trying to sell us their, their shtick, that we kind of see a little bit, nobody else around us is actually fully happy and everyone around us is actually pretty anxious and or scared. Like that's just the state of life. It's not just because of what the, the things that we're living in right now. It's just the actually the actual historic state of humanity. Because we see or sense, at least at those times where we're not known by entertainment or distracted by social media or other things, that we still, we see that the world is broken and it's breaking down even more. And that's what Jesus is actually talking about here in this passage that Miss Carolyn read for us. And he gives us an incredible answer as to not only the, the fact that the world is broken and is breaking down even more, but he gives us an incredible answer to why there is actually hope. If you have the passage still open in your uh, phone or on, uh, in your actual you know, book, you can look in there, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, Jesus said, in the middle of this Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are, he said, the light of the world. A, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is preaching a sermon and he just opened with some stuff that would have blown his hearers away. We've been going through it the past few weeks. He started off by talking about who it actually is that it makes up the kingdom of God. He said, this is who qualified to be, to be in or to enter my kingdom. Now that already sets something up. Everyone and everything is created by God, but yet Jesus is differentiating here that not everybody, everyone is in God's kingdom. Everything and everyone was created by God, but yet not everyone is in God's kingdom. Not everyone is under his rule and reign. That's what it means to be under, in, under or in God's kingdom. It means to be underneath or submitted to the rule and reign of God through Jesus Christ. There are two kingdoms. 
And the lies that we are sold aren't new. They may be delivered in a new way, might be through social media or other kinds of media, but they are based on the same lie that tells us that this is the way to be truly happy, to follow the kingdom that is not God's kingdom, is to go the other way. And Jesus yet says, only those living under my rule and reign are those who are truly happy. Back before, you can see verses three through 10, which we just covered the past few weeks. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That word blessed means truly happy or blessed by God or really, it's really driving into happiness. Blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are even persecuted for righteousness sake. Now, notice the thing that uh, David pointed out to us the past couple of weeks is that he begins and ends those sections when he's telling us who is blessed by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and blessed are those who are persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First, Jesus told us two things. First is this, who be, this is who belong to the kingdom of heaven. He uses the word, the phrase kingdom of heaven here. Why does he use that phrase? I think he uses that phrase instead of the kingdom of God in this particular instance because that's what we are all looking for. Let's be honest. Not everybody in the world are walking around thinking, man, I want to live my life under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. No, they're not. But everybody is looking for heaven. Everybody is looking for heaven. Even if they don't believe an actual physical or spiritual heaven exists, it's what they are living their life trying to build and create. Why do we create the homes that we do or aspire to the homes that we do or the cars or the spouses or the gated communities? Why do we aspire to those things? Because we believe, we buy into the fact that that is heaven here on earth. That's what it means to be truly happy even when we don't think we want to be in God's kingdom, we do know that we want heaven, even if it's just on earth. Secondly, Jesus tells us the people in his kingdom are blessed. That word points to true happiness. This is happiness that is true or real or lasting. It's not fleeting. It doesn't come and go. It doesn't happen to, to be happiness while you're actually consuming this thing or having this experience. This is happiness that is true and lasting. And also, this is happiness that is given. He says, blessed are those. It is a picture inside. The word blessing is a picture that is a happiness that is bestowed upon you. Someone grants the blessing. Someone grants the happiness. True happiness, Jesus says, can be yours, but the exchange is to come under his rule and reign. The exchange is to come under his rule and his reign. And that's why these are the kinds of people that enter the kingdom. These are the kind of people who realize they have nothing else to gain. They have people who have figured out, I've come to the end of my own rope, I've come to the end of, finding, of determining my own life or following somebody else's story about whether to find happiness or true contentment, and they realize I can only, I, I gotta find it somewhere else, somewhere that's more lasting, someone that is truer and stronger and greater than me or anybody else around me. And we don't wanna buy, but yet, we don't wanna buy into that because we don't wanna come into the rule and reign under Jesus. 
can you imagine, I was just thinking about this, and this might be a kind of a silly illustration, but I was thinking about this last night. Imagine that a, a billionaire, this is sort of like a, a, a Christian version of a, something I could say here, there's something more, a Christian version of indecent proposal. Imagine a, a billionaire comes to you and says, hey, I'm bored. Uh, I'll pay you $25 million if you will be my human pet over the next five years. I will treat you like an animal. I'll treat you like a pet. You'll live in my house, but I'll treat you in every way that I would a pet. I'm gonna take you out for walks. I'm gonna have you do tricks. I'm gonna put you in a kennel at the, in the middle of the night. If you disobey, I'm gonna treat you just like I would a pet. Would you do it? Would you accept be, being something a little less, a little less than human for five years in order to <laughs> So many of us would take that deal, but yet we don't come on, wanna come under the rule and reign of Jesus who is promising a life to us of being truly and fully human under his righteous rule and reign. Jesus offers us full and abundant life, the, the pathway to becoming truly human. Jesus is painting a picture of his kingdom, what it means to live under his righteous rule and reign, and it is to be truly blessed and find true life. And who does he say can be a part as those who are coming to an end of himself? And now he's telling us what kind of effect these people, these people who come into his kingdom because they found there to be no other true or lasting happiness there's no other way to be truly human except under his righteous rule and reign. This is what kind of effect these people, the blessed, the truly happy people have on the world around them. This is what he says. He says that his disciples, his kingdom people have an effect, an influence on the kingdom of darkness. Right off the bat, Jesus is saying that his kingdom isn't defensive. But I think sometimes we, we think about his kingdom or his church in that way. We picture the, the church sort of on an on a island in the middle of a stormy sea. And there's dark clouds surrounding it and the waves are crashing and the water is rising and the walls are breaking down and we're just trying to barely hold on until like Jesus comes in the lifeboat or the helicopter and come and get us out of this crumbling structure before the wind and the waves overtake his church. But that's not what he said his church was gonna be like, did he? He said the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Jesus' concept of his kingdom is something totally different than the defensive people who are walled up and trying to hold on until he returns. He says, you are the salt of the earth. This, this salt has lost its taste. How shall its saltiness be restored? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus is saying that his disciples are not sitting around being defensive, but they have an effect, an outward effect, an offensive effect on the world around them. It, in other words, light presses back into darkness, not darkness presses into light. Jesus is saying that his disciples are inherently different and distinct. In fact, he's saying that they are beautifully distinct or beautifully different. We'll get to why he said, we say beautifully different or beautifully distinct in just a few minutes. He says that his disciples are different or beautifully different, as different from the world around us as salt is from no salt and light is from darkness. And that's because we belong to a different kingdom. We serve a different 
king. We follow Jesus, not another leader, not culture, not even ourselves, but those who are his, his disciples, those who are come to an end of themselves and said, I am poor in spirit. I mourn who I am, and yet I, I've looked around everywhere else to see where can I find a way or a pathway to be truly human, and I haven't found it anywhere else except in Jesus Christ, and he is teaching me to be what it means to be truly human, and I'm discovering true blessedness and happiness and joy under his righteous rule and reign. He says, those people, those people, us people, I know that's not proper grammar, but us people, us, we, his people, that we belong to a different kingdom. We follow Jesus, not another leader, not culture, not even ourselves. We follow him. We want to obey him. That's a mark of a true Christian, by the way, that we want to obey Jesus. Do you want to obey Jesus? I'm not asking you, do you obey him fully all the time? I'm saying, do you want to obey him? At the core of cores, do you want to follow his word and his ways? Even when you find yourself having sinned against him, do you mourn inside and say, God, I want to be brought into line with you? I wanted that thing. I wanted to do that thing. I wanted to say that thing. I, I wanted to follow my own way, my own path. But God, more than that, deep down below, I want to follow you. If you don't have that desire creeping in your soul, that creeping, and that desire like stirring in your soul beneath all things, then you know what? You might be a, a Christian by title. You might be a churchgoer by attendance, but you are not a believer in Jesus Christ. You have not been born again from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You've not on the pathway to becoming truly human. Because that's the stir, the soul, at the core of every true disciple of Jesus. We want to obey him. We want to bring our, our thinking, our words, and our actions into line with his will. Jesus is saying that his people aren't on the defensive. He said that his people are different, but he also says his people make a difference. Salt isn't just salty on its own. I mean, it is, but I'm saying it doesn't do anything on its own. It gets into food. It alters it. It changes the, the flavor and and sometimes the, even the composition of the food. The world around us is decaying, yes, but we are called as Christians as salt. In this world, in this earth, we are called as salt to hinder that decay around us. His disciples, Jesus says, not only are different, but they make a difference. His disciples add the flavor of heaven to the people and the circumstances around us. That's what he says we do. He didn't say, try to do this. He didn't say, this is a promise and maybe you'll do this. He says, this is what my people do. These are my people, my disciples who follow me. This is what happens when they live life on, in this world. They bring the flavor of heaven to the people and the circumstances around them. Have you ever um, walked into a group of people that you suddenly felt at home with? Maybe it was uh, like me, like other athletes, or <laughs> you were supposed to laugh quite this hard, but you know, uh, you know. But maybe you're an athlete and you walk into a, a room and like, like you, 
and you, and you hang out with other athletes or you're an artist and you walk into a room with other artists or you're an entrepreneur or a gamer or a book lover and you, you walk into a room with people and all of a sudden you're like, these are my people. Like they speak my language. This is who I'm made to be. Like I, I feel more fully human. Like they, they get me and I get them. Oh, this is what I was made for. That's what should happen when other people are around us as believers. This is what I was made for. Not because we're athletic or good looking. Not because we happen to be book lovers or surfers or whatever but because our interactions with each other and with the world around us are flavored with the flavor of heaven. They are under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ and therefore they look and smell and, and feel like it would be to be around Jesus. It feels and tastes a bit otherworldly. This is what I was made for. Jesus says his disciples make a difference. He says we act as like salt as a preservative. Salt doesn't just flavor food, but at this time particularly, it'd be incredibly important. They would use it to preserve meat. They rub it upon the meat and it, it preserves the meat. Meat sticks, Dale. Dale loves to eat a meat stick. I don't even know what a meat stick is. I haven't found one in nature. I grew up in like around a farm and I never saw any meat sticks hanging around, but Dale likes a meat stick. I don't know what part of the, the cow, uh, the, a beef stick comes from, but he likes to eat it, eat them. And, and that the salt is in there preserving that meat. And here's the thing that like we should be as believers acting as a preservative around for the world around us. Yes, it's decaying. Yes, it's dark, but we as believers should be repelling evil. It doesn't mean that we're standing on the corner yelling at evil, because that's not really repelling evil, it's just repelling people. <laughs> but have you ever been in a circle? I had this happen at work a lot of times. Like someone would, like, someone would curse and they would look at me and say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like, why are you apologizing to me? Or they would do something, they'd come to me afterwards and say, oh, I'm sorry I did that. I'm like, why are you, I have no idea why you're apologizing to me. But our our lives, our very actions, the fact that we are under God's rule and reign, the fact that we are following his ways should be standing out in such a way that people around us are, are convicted and they don't even know why they're convicted. And they, that may repel them. They might be irritated with us or they might be drawn to that, but it's acting as a preservative for the environments that we are in. We repel evil, we do, we try, seek to right wrongs. We should just be having that effect. That's the effect that Jesus followers have upon injustice, homelessness, racism, addictions, poverty, abortion, sex trafficking. And that's personally, as we personally interact with those things and push back, and systemically, we look as believers and we look around us, we see, man, there are things that are wrong. Can we fully right those wrongs? No, this world is decaying and it's getting worse. But it doesn't mean that we say as believers like, check you out, see you on the other side, the helicopter's coming soon, we're getting out of here. No, we have an effect upon the decay around us. We work personally and systemically to right wrongs and to repel evil. And you notice what he says about salt? What does one grain of salt do to a plate of food? Not, almost nothing. 
It's only as salt is sprinkled as it is spread. We act communally together. We make a distinct difference as we are scattered and we are scattered together. As we are scattered into our homes, into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods. And we together pray for and love the people around us as we right the wrongs that come to us. Notice that he says, by the way, I just want to throw this in before we get any further. Notice that he says later on, he says good works. He doesn't say great works. It doesn't say like, I don't want to push the text too much here, but it doesn't say like, hey, the person who founds the great ministry that has thousands of volunteers that seek to do away with sex trafficking. He just says people who do great work, good works. It's, it's often the little things. It's those little actions that we don't put on Instagram or Facebook, that we don't tell anybody about, but that as believers in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces that are scattered, we scatter our good works even in those places, and they have an effect. But what if, Jesus points to here, what if we aren't that different? What if the church, what if we individually aren't that different from the world around us? Jesus makes a big point of that here. The salt has lost its saltiness. It's worthless. Jesus is saying, John Stott said this, Jesus is saying, you and only you are the salt and light of the world. He's saying that you, as believers, as Christians, are this. No one else is or can be. And what happens, though, sometimes as, as Christians, as we, we look around us and we see the world is decaying around us, we see it's, it's broken and it's breaking down even more, and how do we respond? Sometimes we recoil in horror and want to run away, or sometimes we want to attack that which is decaying, for decaying. It is inherently decaying, and we want to attack it for decaying. Maybe that we should realize that if the world around us is decaying, then maybe we as Christians aren't playing the role that we're called to play. Maybe if our families and our workplaces are decaying, maybe we can't ultimately stop it, but we can bring Jesus into those places that is preserving and hindering that work. That's bringing the flavor, the taste of heaven into those places, into those situations. So, so there's a, a great responsibility that we have as believers. The world is dark and in, and in great need of change. Do you feel that? Do you feel the push? Do you feel the pressure? Do you feel the weight of that darkness? And, and you feel like, can you push back and say, who can actually change it? Who can change my family? Who can change my workplace? Who can change this community? Who can handle and, and take on these issues that, we're, that we just named? Who can change this nation? Who can change this world? Because don't we see like these great, like great revolutionaries who want to make great change? Like, don't we often see like and they, they come crusading for some great change, and then as they get some notoriety, they get some wealth and power, and then they start to pursue wealth and power. The very things that they were beginning to fight in the end, they, they kind of crumble under their own weight. Who can, stand, who can stand the pressure, and who can actually make the change? And the answer is Jesus is the only one. 
It's Jesus who left the throne. It's Jesus who left his glory. It is Jesus who embraced the shame. It's Jesus who didn't fight back or beg for his life whenever he was being led from his place of torture to his place of death. It's Jesus who didn't clutch or hold on to his power whenever he was being killed. But it also wasn't, neither did his power wane when he was killed. Jesus is enthroned because he went down. He is glorified because he was humble and his humble way is still at work in his believers and it is still as revolutionary as it ever has been before. Salt didn't make itself salty. It can't apply itself to food. There's someone or something behind it that is making it, that is scattering it. And that that is Jesus Christ behind the church who is making us salty and scattering us to make a difference. And that's exactly what it's called us to do, to make a difference. Notice that he says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We've already seen this with the salt analogy, but it, it really comes out when he says disciples, when he says his disciples are the light of the world. He says that we are to have a powerful influence in the world around them. And he says this with some incredible confidence, right? He says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like you are the light of the world? Do you feel like you can make that statement? You like leave here today and walk out the door and say, hey world, I am, the, I am your light. I'm come here to shine. Look to me and find hope. And Jesus didn't just say that about us. He said it about himself. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I, I, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that's really where this metaphor becomes beautiful. Because the light that we are called to shine is a derived light. It is not our own. It is the life of Jesus. This isn't a command from Jesus or a promise. He doesn't say go out and act like light. He says you are light. Why? Because he is the light. Those who belong to Jesus are indwelt by his spirit. Hear that today. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are indwelt by the spirit of Christ himself. And that, Jesus says, is what shines through. And our light shines out through the gospel. The gospel is what shines into darkness. The, the story, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us is what shines into the darkness around us. It, it's, it says that it's, the, the gospel says it's dark. Yes, it's way darker than you ever thought. It's decaying. Yes, it's the, the, the sin, the problem is way deeper. The disease goes way deeper than you ever would dare to think. But it also says there's a new kingdom and a new king who has come to save you. That's the story of the gospel. 
and it shines out like a city set on a hill. It shines out like a lighthouse in the middle of a stormy sea out of us individually and us together. Because by the way, you can't be a city again on your own. The city is a group of people living life together that shines out in the darkness. We are called as the church to be together in our relationships with each other and the way that we deal with each other across gender lines and across socioeconomic lines and across racial lines and across political lines, the way that we interact with each other, the way that we do business with each other and the way that we do business with the people around us, it shows a drastically different lifestyle and a drastically different economy to the world around us. It is a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. The world, it says, to the world, yes, it's dark out where you are. The disease runs deeper than you ever thought it was, but look where the light is. It's not in us. The light shines through us. We didn't light ourselves. Someone else came and lit this light on me. It came from somewhere else. The light, in fact, that's what Jesus gets to. He says, so that's. Be salt and be light so that, why? So that they would see your good works. They would see something. You would have those good works we were talking about, but they would see them and there would be such a, a type, such a flavor, such a feel, such a nature that they say those have to be otherworldly kind of works. They would see the light and say there has to be another kind of light coming from somewhere else. They would sow that, they would see your good works. And why? And what? Glorify your Father that's in heaven. Even if they don't become a believer. They say there's something other, there's some other source beneath these people. There's some other light that is shining out of them that didn't come from themselves. Why? because it's all about Jesus. The gospel isn't instructions on how to live, isn't guidance for a better life now or in the future. The gospel tells us about Jesus, that he is the one who saves. And the gospel tells us that how he can and will save all those who come for him. The, the gospel is the story that he died for you, for your sins, and he is resurrected for you. The light provides hope. It shows the only way to God. But yet again, look at Jesus' warning. No one hides a, a lamp. No one lights a lamp in a dark house. You know, none of us, most of us can hardly imagine. Maybe you've been camping before and you've been in, in true darkness and you lit a lamp and like, it's, there's not much light there, but it's all the lights you got, it's, it's, it's light. And if you're not in the darkness, you're not going to take that light and then hide it under a basket, hide it under something that, so no one can see. Jesus gives a warning. Don't hide the light. How do we hide the light? Well, the question is, are you even looking outward? Are you seeing where Jesus can meet the world around you? Many Christians I know, I'm putting myself in this category oftentimes, are so busy navel-gazing, are so busy looking at our own life, our own, trying to keep our own home, our own household, our own career, our own kind of schedule going, is that I'm, I'm focused all inward. I'm not even looking outward. I'm not even seeing where Jesus can meet the world around me. 
Are you in prayer with him in such a way that, you, that he can open your eyes to see the darkness around you? Are you willing to live as a Christian? Are you willing to live under his rule and reign? Are you willing to see where he calls you to, to go and to actually go and obey him? Are you grieving his spirit in ways? That word for good that he uses in good works, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That word for good is the Greek word for good that means beautiful and noble. So what Jesus says is the people around us should be seeing the beautiful works of Jesus in our life. It should seem so beautiful and so noble that it must not be of this broken and decaying world, it must be from heaven. Why would we wanna hide that light? Why would we wanna hide Jesus? Yet we do. We do when we buy into lies, it's too, it'd be too dangerous, it's too unpredictable, it could be costly. I might be embarrassed. Why would we hide him? Why are you not salty? Why is the world around you unseasoned? Why is the world around you so dark? Let's not be a people that hide Jesus. Let's be a people that follow in his steps and his command to showcase his beauty to the people around us. Because this is normal Christianity. And when we experience something else, we are experiencing abnormal Christianity. That's why we're asking for an outpouring. As a church, we're asking for an outpouring of God's spirit. That's why this is our great need because being salt and light for the world is the normal place for the church. And my concern is that our community, my neighborhood, and our country, our world, is not seeing the church be the salt and light that he's called us to be. I think we've largely lost our saltiness and we're hiding the light under a a basket. Being salt and light, though, is the normal place for the church. They may not respond, but they must taste and see. They may not taste it and like it, but they must taste and see Jesus through us. And we'll end with this, these questions. Is this the life that you know? Is this the Christianity you know? Not a defensive Christianity, but a Christianity that lovingly yet, and humbly yet boldly is preserving and pushing back into darkness, that is doing good and shining the light of the gospel, the good news of Jesus into the dark places around us. Is this the church that you know? If not, then this morning I, I call you. If, you're, if this is not the life that you have lived, this is not the life that you had known, if you're not a Christian today, come to your king. Don't let today pass. Leave the kingdom of darkness 
bow your knee to the King Jesus and accept his sacrifice on your behalf. And if you are a Christian, church, let's seek God so that he will shine his light in and through us. That we might be awakened, that we might awaken more. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna open up communion. We're gonna have two stations, one on each side. Uh, you receive the wafer and the cup. Uh, you can come as you, as you see fit on either side. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter where you call church home, this is an open table for you this morning. As you come, come and receive the open table as a free gift to you. You didn't earn your way. And as you take your, the, the wafer, the bread, and you take it into your body, and you take the juice, and you take that into your body, let it come into your body. Say, God, come into me afresh and anew and shine your light through me. Show me any ways that I'm grieving you. Open my eyes to see the darkness around me so that I might be the salt and light, and that we together as the church might be the salt and light that you called us to be. And Jesus, that is our prayer this morning. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that your presence is here physically and spiritually, physically represented in the blood and the body of Christ and spiritually nourishing us as we partake of this. God, let it not just be a, a swallow of juice and a thin wafer, but let it be a feast for our souls this morning as we feast upon Jesus. Let us rest and enjoy the goodness of Jesus this morning. Let the truth and the power of the songs that we're gonna sing together stir our souls. May we see you for the glorious one that you are and respond in giving our lives, our worship, and all that we have to you so that we might be the salt and light you called us to be. In the name of Jesus, amen.